Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh my. Episode 85. Now, dear listeners, Stomping Jen is not with us. I am starting this podcast without my co-host. I don't know what's going to happen. I feel untethered. I feel like a kite cut loose from its kite string. I do not know what to do. But we will plunge forward because we have an incredible guest tonight. We have with us Elena McCauley, who is a Director of Diversity and Inclusion. And her Twitter handle is at Elena McCauley. And you can find that on Twitter. Now, tonight we are going to have a conversation about race, racism, white privilege, and try to unpack some of those ideas And I think this is particularly important in light of what's happening around us in the world right now. And this is right now, in case you're listening to this at some point in the future, because it's a podcast, right now is June 1st, 2020. So maybe this will serve as some sort of historical record after the country has burned down. We will see. Without further ado, I give you episode 85 of the Soft Serve Podcast. The Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Okay. Hello, everybody. Hello, guest, Elena. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am doing okay. It's been a a tough week. Um, I'm feeling generally kind of demoralized by what's going on around me in the world, I think. Um, But other than that, I am doing spectacularly well. Um, I, um, as we get going, there are a few people I want to thank that we usually thank at the start of the show. And I'm going to remind people, I'm doing this without my co-host. And I'm feeling... Um, strangely, like I don't know what to do, um, but hopefully, uh, Stomping Jen will show up and join us shortly. Um, so there's a few people I want to thank that we typically thank and have been thanking at the start of the show since the uh, start of this pandemic 
12 weeks ago. It's been a long time. Sure and those, yep, and those are the essential workers and the healthcare workers um, on the front line. Um, so our um, folks working in the hospital, the people driving our stuff across the country, um, people working in our stores who are on the front lines. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all those folks. Um, there's another group of people I want to thank, um, which are all of the people who are out there in the streets protesting right now. Um, and I'll say, um, I'll just leave it at that. The people out there who are protesting, I think they are making important statements right now um, about larger issues going on um, in society that have been going on a long time. And hopefully we'll talk about some of those. Um, um, particularly, I'm interested in talking about issues related to um, racism, white privilege, um, things that allies can do to help, especially as we look around and see what's happening out there in the world. Um, so thank you to everybody out there um, supporting and raising up their voices. Um, before we before we roll into our our new segment and check in with our guests um, in a little more depth, I just want to um, continue to ask um, our listeners if you are enjoying the show and enjoying the community leaders we've been talking to um, the last three or four months, um, please share the podcast with a friend, uh, subscribe to it, download our episodes, leave us reviews. Um, we're not a monetized podcast. You all know that. So you're not going to hear mattress ads on here or, um, the other stuff you hear on podcasts. So, um, uh, spread the good word, please. Um, so, um, without, um, further ado, I'm going to roll us into our little news segment. Um, and I... Elena, one of the things you'll learn about me is I love bumpers, and I love creating bumpers. So here's our news bumper. Oh, wrong one. Here we go. That sounds newsy, right? Definitely sounds like 90s news. Yes, that was the idea I was going for. <laughs> All right, so here we are. We're in week 12 of this pandemic. We have national protests spreading across our country. How are you doing? It's a lot to process, but, you know, I think we have the right intention and keeping moving forward day by day. Yeah. Um, have you been, have you been impacted in the sense that you um are working from home more are you um, yeah um i yeah. am i work for a university and so um i've completely shifted to remote work um while also homeschooling <laughs> while also you know mm -hmm. trying to just keep my sanity about what's going on in the world um pandemic wise as well as you know the nation's unrest yeah yeah. 
And I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely feeling the stress of working at home now going on 12 weeks. Like I find myself actually missing traveling to the office and the large university where I work also. So it's, I'm definitely missing all of that now and like in a weird way longing to kind of get back to being able to go to a work site. I know that sounds weird and you know at first I was like really excited about working at home and being a remote worker but not so much anymore so. No I completely agree all the things you take for granted just in your normal everyday commute you know I've appreciated um, now the privacy that I have of driving one hour to work, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just being in my own thoughts, but I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. And my one thing that has really suffered is my, my podcast listening and that that's just totally unacceptable as a, as a, as a podcaster myself and somebody who pays attention to downloads, like I've noticed like a, a significant drop in my own listening of podcasts and also people listening to my podcast. So I selfishly want to get back to normal, I think for that reason. <laughs> um, so um, Elena, I mentioned at the start of the podcast that you worked in the area of diversity and inclusion. Um, and um, you mentioned you did that for a university. So is there anything more you want to say about um, that, that role or that, um, that function you fulfill uh, professionally? I'm really curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the Eisenberg School of Management, which is a business school affiliated with the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, previously I've also held roles, um, at the director level for diversity and inclusion, but I think a lot of people actually have no idea what that role means or entails. And so, um, I feel as though while I'm doing my job, I'm equally trying to educate people about what my job is. (laughs) Yeah. And so I know that's, that's a, I think a question a lot of people are going to have, um, what, what is diversity and inclusion and why do we need this? Like, why, why do we have to have somebody focused on it? Yeah, that's um, <laughs> every day I get that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, I think, let me start out by saying that diversity and inclusion are two very unique and different terms. Um, although we often hear them together, they have very different meanings. And so Um, Diversity literally means variety. And in the human context, it means having many types. And we understand that as being identities and experiences. And so um, there's a great quote about diversity is counting the heads and inclusion is making the heads count. And so with that being said, like inclusion is our ability to not only come together and have diversity in the room. So again, variety, many types of people, perspectives, experiences, identities, but also ensuring that all the people in that space are involved and valued. And I think that's where my work comes in is recognizing that, you know, you might be in an organization that is incredibly diverse. You have all types of people doing all types of work. However, how are those people feeling included within that organization or vice versa? Your culture and your inclusivity within your organization might be great. However, 
do you have multiple perspectives in the room challenging you and questioning you on how you're serving a particular population? And so that's where my work is really um, about getting to the deeper questions there about what inclusion, what diversity really mean. Yeah. And and I'm guessing that this is, this is more than if we don't have somebody thinking about this, it's not going to happen on its own. It's more, I'm guessing along the lines as we, we really, that there are, there are forces at play within companies and cultures that are working against diversity and inclusion. Therefore, we need to make sure that we have somebody um, in our in our institution or our organization, what have you, really focused on this, you know, um, at all levels. Absolutely, you're exactly right, and I think that it takes somebody from the outside, perhaps coming in, or somebody in a role that can take this um, perspective or this lens and say, "Hey, you know what? This is how uh, this organization has." typically run, but have you considered this? Have you considered how this might affect these people or this group of students or this group of individuals? Um, And it could be as different as departments, not even just, you know, I think a lot of people think um, diversity and inclusion is something along the lines of race, but it could be, you know, how are we considering um, staff in these conversations versus our faculty? And obviously I'm relating this to a university setting because that's where I've mostly done my work. Um, but it, it goes along those lines is a lot of my work. Yeah. And my, uh, I, 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 I share, I think a a similar experience in my union work. Um, I've mentioned here on this podcast before at the large university I work for, I'm actively involved in my union at a leadership level. And, um, Diversity inclusion is something that we we have we have to pay attention to constantly, right? Um, right. At that level too. Um, so Stomping Jen has joined us, and I feel so relieved, Elena. <laughs> I was I was flound I was floundering. I I'm so sorry. You, you can ask her. I this was probably the worst beginning <laughs> to a podcast ever. Stomping Jen. I'm sure it was fine. Oh no, oh, he did great. No, sure. well, you're, it was you're really too fine. Kind. I just had to crawl under the wire and not disturb the table to join still- us. On on the couch. You still disturb the table, but I it's know, okay. I'm, I'm so, so happy you're here with us. <laughs> well, I just had a two and a half hour long meeting. Oh my god. Yep. Okay. So we will we'll try to be mindful that we're not going to let this grind on forever. Yes. Um, I didn't warn Elena. We've been known to do three hour podcasts, but we'll be good to you. I promise. <laughs> I promise. Um, well, it's nice to meet you virtually. Very nice to meet you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Stomping Jen, I was asking Elena about diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. right, and what what that means and why we need it. Mm-hmm. And she gave a really good explanation. Great. And I'm curious how you, as a person and a professional, got involved in this line of work and why it's meaningful to you. Yeah. Um, so my background, and I think I'll start from the very day I was born. Okay. Great. <laughs> Um, so I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it's one of the most racially segregated cities in the United States. Um, that being said, I was born to a white mother and a black father who, well, my black father did not want much of a role in raising me. And so my stepfather's family all immigrated from Mexico 
So I grew up culturally Mexican, culturally Italian Sicilian on my mother's side. And so it wasn't until somebody pointed out to me that I was black that I realized, oh, I'm black, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so as a kid, um, I feel like a lot of my role has always been educating others on difference and what other families look like, what other experiences look like, what my history was, what my background was. And so while I haven't always had the title of director of diversity and inclusion or somebody involved in multicultural affairs or issues, I feel like it's just been instilled at me in such a young age because of my life experiences, you know, growing up very poor in poverty, um, you know, also talking about the racial um, components and the ethnic components. Um, also, just thinking about the context geographically of where I grew up, a lot of my experiences has been in having these conversations with people and learning how to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. And when you say somebody pointed out to you that you were black, was that a positive experience or was that a, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm sensing there may be something in there that... No, it was not a positive experience. Okay. Um, so I grew up in mostly, um, I, I'll say black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. So in Milwaukee, um, again, I was raised mostly by my white mother and then my Mexican stepfather, but we were in a very large um, Mexican community um, as well as a large white community. However, I went to all um, Milwaukee public schools, which are Milwaukee's just smaller than Boston. You know, it's, it's still a pretty fairly large city. Um, and so growing up in schools where there, it's very diverse and you're only seeing certain types of people, not necessarily people with mixed identities, mixed racial backgrounds. Um, you know, I wasn't quite fitting in with the black kids. Uh, I wasn't quite fitting in with the Mexican kids. I wasn't quite fitting in with the white kids. Um, and so it wasn't until somebody was like, maybe you're Dominican. And I was like, I don't think that's right either. <laughs> so um, I, I finally asked my parents, you know, like a little bit more about myself. And, um, you know, I, I continued to question it quite a lot growing up because I didn't mm -hmm. feel as though anything really stuck for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we were talking a little bit before we started uh rolling the digital tape and I was sharing, um, I was sharing with you, um, I, um, am a, a white male in my mid forties. Um, and for most of, most of my life, um, you know, I think at least prior to coming to large university where I, um, worked in student affairs and I began to, um, go through, um, like, um, diversity, diversity training. training. Thank you. Stomping Jen. Um, <laughs> I, I had absolutely no experience or for facility or I think perspective for considering, um, uh, people of other colors and, you know, talking about, um, race and identity was something that was really uncomfortable for mm -hmm. me and like I was saying to Elena before like I still feel like I don't have the tool set or um or my the, the tools in my toolbox are not sharp enough to be able to do this effectively <laughs> and I was saying I'm probably gonna say something you know <laughs> that's wrong or not framed <laughs> the right way or and, and it's mostly because I think um you know at least in the 
um, majority white communities I grew up in, no, nobody ever encouraged us to contemplate talking about race, right. identity, well, racism. I think that's the issue we're faced with right now, right? I mean, not just right now, but like yeah. our whole lives, right? You know, this is the big question out there. It's we're, as a white community, if you can call us that, you know, as white people, like, are being told, like, listen and educate yourself and allow space for voices to be heard and not, you know, try to you know, make excuses for that, you know, that these are the things that we could do. Yeah. Um, now. I think a lot of that comes from, you know, as a child, you're praised for being right rather than praised for being wrong. And so we have to like open up and accept that we're not going to be experts in everything all the time, especially if your experiences haven't allowed you to be exposed in those ways. Right. And so yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're discouraged from doing something or if you're actively not encouraged to do something, you're not going to engage. Right. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that's, um, you know, and I think that that is likely in my estimation, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, the stifling of conversation about this, um, in at the earliest ages in people. And for lots of reasons, I think maintaining white privilege and maintaining the systems that, perpetuate that um, makes it really uncomfortable for people to even have these conversations. I think right. that's one reason. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I want to allow space. Like, so, you know, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a Jew, right? Like, so I have a whole other suite of like challenges and, uh, experience to bring to a conversation when we talk about diversity and inclusion and absolutely um you know that is different that i you know i've spent my lifetime trying to educate others and you know i married a non-jew so we have these discussions a lot in our house you know yeah um but you know but we all still present as white right so there's that challenge too that's you know part of this equation um yeah when we discuss it, you know, with the kids and, and, and everything. So, yeah. And I think that's so valuable. Um, I was telling Sawtooth before, um, you joined us that, you know, my, my, my husband and partner is a white man. And so, you know, I think that a lot of the educating he had to do on his own as in addition to Mm -hmm. the education that we've kind of had to go through just being together, you know, is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I and I think I was I was reflecting on what you know I've been seeing in the news the last couple weeks, right? Um, you know, we go back. You know, I I know he I know he was murdered in February, but it didn't really I think come to our attention until you know a few weeks back. Um, Ahmed Aubrey, um, you know, being you know, chased down by, you know, Southern white vigilantes in a pickup truck and murdered on the street. I'm thinking about, you know, what happened at the beginning of last week with um, Amy Cooper, um, the the Central Park dog walker Mm -hmm. who um, threatened uh, to call the police on Christian Cooper, a black um, bird watcher who happened to be there, who who had the audacity 
to ask her to leash her wild dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, the, the horrific video we saw of George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sue me if you want um, by those four cops, you know. Um, I, I, I think objectively you have to look at that and you can't see it as anything less than murder, yeah. right? Um, so... I see, I, I see all that, right? And I, and I feel, I feel, <laughs> I feel outrage, right? <laughs> yeah. I and, um, but in it, but I know I and, and you know I I post on social media. This is outrageous, but I know that's not enough, no. right? Um, so and, and I think trying to front try, find trying to find the words to frame this question the right way. So we see these things persisting, mm-hmm. right? They're not going away. Um, I think one of the reasons, one of the only reasons we are seeing them now is because of, we have cell phones, like, mm-hmm. right. Because they're being, they're not happening more. It's being televised. It's being recorded now. Right. Yeah. Right. And they're being televised. Um, but I think there's, there's something, I think there's something else to consider about like, what is it about, um, society, our, our systems, our institutions, um, that allows so many black people, usually black men, um, you know, to be unjustly and unequally treated for just living their lives, right? And that's the thing that I grapple with. And that's a yeah. huge que- That's a huge question, right? <laughs> Is that even a question? Do you have another podcast that we can... I, I know. <laughs> I know. Was that even a question? I know. I, mean... I know. I know it's too big, but it's like one of, you know... But the way I see it, I think it's a fantastic question. Um, and I think it's one that a lot of people are starting to, to ask themselves and, and hopefully lawmakers and people, decision makers within their communities. But the way I see it, our society has never dealt with the deeply troubling past like that we've had. And, you know, it isn't something that's happened in my lifetime, my grandparents' lifetime, their grandparents' lifetime. This is this has started literally prior to our country's founding, and it's uprooted and uh, or it's embedded in slavery um, from a racist perspective, and we've never really sought reconciliation proactively. You know, we see something happen, and that's when we speak out against it. We hear something happen, that's when we speak out against it, and so rather than you know, addressing all of the issues and the ills that we've had historically, we've just waited till people have asked for it. And so as a country, you know, we continually need to be, you know, influenced and persuaded that Black lives indeed matter throughout history. And that's why you see what's manifesting today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's like, you know, we've all become so jaded and used to this that it's like okay we just move on we know we get outraged and then the next thing happens the next thing happens and everything just keeps getting swept under the rug and nobody wants to take nobody not nobody but unless the majority of people want to sit down and really proactively like engage and communicate and really try to figure it out the deep roots 
like you said, um, that's never been addressed in this country. You know, like I think about, you know, again, I'm relating it to my own personal experience with Judaism, which is, you know, that in Germany, they had to go through a whole reconciliation process about what they did. And we've never done that here in America. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really valid point. And I think we can look to a lot of other countries to talk about the ways in which they've tried to reconcile the ills of the past and, you know, why hasn't the U.S. been able to do that successfully? Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that is a, that is a point of resistance, right, is when you have um, so many people enjoying the privileges mm-hmm. of systems, right? Whether it is um, uh, the the employment system, healthcare, um, you know, the the justice system, mm-hmm. right? Um, Education system. The education system. Everybody's um, just trying to get ahead and get ahead and they don't care who they're stepping on or they, you know, they, you know, they don't think about the, the people below them. It's like that movie that we watched. Yeah. Um, what was that movie called? <laughs> where no. there's like these platforms. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called the platform. Yeah. Yeah. Where like, you know, it's like the people at the top get to eat as much as they want and they, you know, they could, if they wanted to portion it out and leave people leave for the bottom but they don't you know they eat as much as they want to gluttonous proportions and you know so it's like you know akin to this one percent kind of ideology and um, i'll have to check that one out i haven't seen it (laughs) yeah it's a little gruesome not gonna be not gonna lie it's just it's a little bit uh violent but um you know the parallels to to some of this is you know yeah is there yeah and I, i think the thing the thing that I have found, I think, most unnerving, right? Especially in the last, you know, seven years since a lot of these, um, a lot of the unjust treatment of um, black people being murdered by Mm -hmm. cops has been um, made available to us is, I think you were saying at Stomping Jen, is the cycle of outrage, right? And the wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Uh, and but nothing. We can't seem to get any traction. Right. On on the problem, right? And right. Um, once and and I'm going to turn to current events here on June first, 2020. Once we do seem to get some traction on the problem right. in terms of people's attention and turning out to protest, mm-hmm. um, you have. You know, and and it looks like maybe the tide could turn because there's so much attention on this. You know, you have the government declare martial law, right? Which which is my opinion is what happened this evening. Right. There right? wasn't actually our president declared martial law. Did he declare martial law? I think that's what happened. He and and I, I will say over the last week he's been evoking incredibly racist Incendiary. imagery. Well, he he talked about he talked about releasing vicious dogs yep. on calling people thugs. protesters, uh, using coded language like okay. thugs, right? Um, and um, so w- once once we start, it feels like start getting momentum, yeah. right? The the government really turns the screws to protect all of this white privilege embedded in the system. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just and I'm 
I'm incredibly frustrated because I think that's going to mean more more people of color, more protesters are going to die, mm-hmm. like tonight and subsequent nights. And this is going to, you know, it will fade from um, the collective yeah, white, gonna... un- white unconscious, right? Or conscious, collective conscious, yeah. sorry. Um, and, you know, then we're going to be, then the cycle will start all over again. Yeah. Unless it doesn't. Unless I, it doesn't. You need to break the wheel. Well, <laughs> and again, this is only Sawtooth Frank saying this. Yeah. I, I was I was remarking to our son Ted tonight, or maybe somebody else, that you know it would take millions of people descending upon the Capitol, mm-hmm. um, peacefully protesting, hopefully, right. um, to to make a statement. Maybe that will happen this time. We'll see. Okay. I don't know. Um, so I'm really frustrated by the cycle, and I don't know how to break it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Any ideas, Elena? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, if I had the magic answer, um, I wouldn't have a job anymore, and <laughs> we would just all be right. able to live in peace and harmony. And unfortunately, that's not where we are. You know, I would love to work myself out of a job and say that the institution that I'm involved in is rid of all you know, issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would love to say that I live in a country that is also able to say that. But, you know, I think what people need to do is to learn what works for them and meet themselves where they are. Because I think, you know, telling, you know, the masses go out and protest, I mean, that just doesn't make sense for everyone if they're in a different, you know, spot in their, in their learning or their understanding of what's actually happening. Right. Um, you know, so I think it takes recognizing and being really, really honest with yourself about what you're capable of doing and what you're willing to do. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's a continuously, it's a continuous learning process. Um, and you know, Sawtooth, you, you acknowledge that yourself and that it's something that you continually feel as though you're educating yourself on. Um, and I'm, I'm doing the same, you know, even as a person of color, you know, it's so much for me to understand how to navigate these systems and change them. Yeah. And I think another thing, um, I'm a bit of a science geek and, Mm -hmm. you know, I like data and I think looking, you know, where we talked a little bit about how we're. Um, coming through the other side of this first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. And when you look at when you look at the populations that have been disproportionately impacted mm-hmm. by the coronavirus and COVID-19, it's very clear that um, um, that the systemic, I think, dis- well, inequality in terms of um, healthcare, healthcare um, have have impacted um, people of color um, because they are the um, they are the population that has, I think, suffered the most hospitalizations and deaths from this virus. You know, and and a lot of that is because of, um, I think, um, under access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, and on an ongoing right. basis. And I, and I just, I think like that is a data point that is staring us all, that has stared us yeah. all in the face. And yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah. 
And I asked that question again, what can we do other than, uh, you know, ask the questions? And I don't know if I have the answer. Education, right. Education, listen. Single payer healthcare. space for people's (laughs) perspective. Well, I think increase access to healthcare, you know. Yeah. Not just for people who have jobs and can, and can afford the best afford care it. possible yeah. and don't have to go to the ER and expose themselves to other illnesses. Yeah. Absolutely. Things of that nature. Right. And I think listening to what the experiences are of people, because we're going to diagnose and prescribe, but until you actually know what these people are going through. And I say these people in all walks of life, yeah. um, you have no idea And I'm saying like any of us, none of us know what somebody else's individual struggle or, you know, obstacle is. So yeah, yeah, I think we need to do a lot more listening. Yeah. And I just want to check myself because I said healthcare for people who have jobs and it's not just about people who have jobs, right? That's not what this is about. It's, um, you know, we have, we have Medicare in this country, right? For, I think for people who, um, who are, are poor, right? And yeah. they cannot afford employer provided health insurance. But I think the point I wanted to make is regardless of your employment status, right? Everybody should get access to, I think, quality as a basic human, right? Healthcare as a basic human, right? Yes. Thank you, Stomping Jen. And that's really the point I wanted to make. Um, yeah. Well, no, because I'm listening to myself and to to the implicit the 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 implicit message right mm. which could have been that people of color don't have jobs and that's why they couldn't afford health care and that's why they got sick right like i'm tr- i'm i'm like monitoring you're dissecting the words I'm moni- you're, as you're saying them i am and i'm like <laughs> monitoring for like the own biases embedded in my speech that's important i know i just wanted to cycle back to that and like check myself he's on also a narcissist even what do you mean not to be how dare you <laughs> sorry no but oh, i think that's a good point what i'm just i'm like really trying to think about what i'm saying and how i'm saying it i think oh boy um no it's yeah. good and i mean it's not even just about employment it's also about where hospitals located and who's mm-hmm. in those hospitals working yeah. in them and, right transportation you know, issues can you get to the hospital how far away are you from the hospital exactly yeah so i mentioned i've mentioned this idea um about white privilege a few times right and um i'm not even sure i know how to define it is like, there a define a definition of white privilege in your line of work? Is there? There's quite a few. Okay. Um, it depends on what you're reading and, and the yeah. theory that you're using. But yeah, there's quite a few working definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them stem out of, you know, black feminist thought and literature. A lot of them stem out of just, you know, colorblind ideology and um so yes, there's is a definition of white privilege. I think that the way people interpret it though mm-hmm. um, always surrounds like a really negative connotation and just privilege in general. Anytime you acknowledge that somebody might have privilege, nobody thinks that's a good thing. Um, and I think that's where we have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what I want to say about it. So how... How does, how do 
if if there is a kind of median concept of white privilege, yeah, like how does it how does it contribute to racism in our country? I mean, because in my mind, when I think about again not knowing any of kind of the different um, textbook models of what it might be, um, in my mind, it. it white privilege is the kind of the systemic and institutional um, advantages that uh, white people kind of get wrapped in just by virtue of their skin color, right? That allows them um, um, to get a leg up for lack of a better term or, you know, have advantages that other people don't necessarily get. I think that's a good start. Yeah. And I think, but I think that way of thinking is also what trips up a lot of people in getting behind and understanding why it's something we talk about so frequently. Because when you think about it from like, oh, because I'm white, I have this privilege and now I'm so much better than, or I have all of these advantages or, you know, I, I've never struggled. Um, and I think that's what people hear when they hear white privilege, when in actuality, you know, privilege literally only means that somebody has an advantage in some way. Yeah. We're just saying that because of your race, it's not one of the mechanisms leading to your struggle. And so, you know, the way I try to frame that with people in a lot of the educational type sessions that I do, or a lot of the workshops that I lead, um, is that privilege is also afforded to you on multiple dimensions. It's not mm -hmm. just a race thing. It's not just a gender thing. You know, you know, it could, it could literally be, you know, um, Jen, you, you mentioned being Jewish. Um, that is not a dominant ideology within the United States. And so that has been not necessarily something that people are afforded privilege within the United States. However, you know, being a uh, Christian identified in the United States is something that does afford you privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing with being light skinned, able-bodied, mm -hmm. um, that's, incredibly important to recognize. Like how often do you think about, uh, curb cuts, mm -hmm. you know, how mm -hmm. often do you think about the ability that you have to navigate, um, a building? Um, one of the things I do with students sometimes is use the example of left-handedness, mm -hmm. um, because I think it's one that softens some of these discussions, especially, um, whenever we hear privilege, we're typically talking about it in gender, race, classism, and things that are really um, sensitive to people. Um, and so when I talk about it, I try to go to left-handedness because who's really going to get offended there. Um, and so, you know, how many times do you think about the can opener you're going to use? Or how many times do you think about the baseball glove that you're going to use? How many times do you think about, you know, a baseball bat or the stance that you're going to take? And granted, I'm a sport person. <laughs> so I'm thinking <laughs> about it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, even like driving a car, mm -hmm. do you shift with your right hand? Well, now you're shifting right. with your non-dominant. Um, and so, you know, I just think about it from the perspective of you're not going to think about those things unless you have somebody in your life that is left-handed. And so because you haven't had to think about it, it's something that you don't necessarily need to concern yourself with because I'm a person of color in this country that has often had, um, you know, I've been exposed to racism. I've been a victim of racism. I've been also a victim of many other things based on identities that I have. 
Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't hold privilege in other ways. I'm highly educated. Um, you know, I am a born United States citizen. I have many friends who are not born in the United States. Um, and so I just recognize that privilege has so many other dimensions and it's not just talking about whiteness that is important. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's one I often forget, right? Um, and as I hear you talking, like I'm remembering, you know, a few episodes back, we had rambling blind Josh Pearson on here to talk to us about ableism and, um, you know, kind of accessibility yeah. and, you know, another another dimension on the kind of privilege spectrum. So I think that's that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think I think. One of you said this before. I, I can't remember um, um, if it was you, Elena, or you, um, Jen. Um, you know, I've, I've, I often um, hear hear people say, "I don't see color," or um, "I'm not a racist." <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, and I think I think when people say that, they they might think they actually believe those things right but i think holding those ideas right or not um having the ability to to challenge those perceptions is really harmful you know to people of color in society and i'm going back to one of my first student affairs trainings that Mm -hmm. i did and and there was somebody um another another um He's much younger than me, but another um, white male who said, you know, well, I don't see color. Everybody's equal in my eyes. And then, you know, we, we got some explanation about why that's not really a, a good idea to be to think that way. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit of, of, about that whole, um, that whole perspective of like, you know, everybody's the same and, I, you know, I don't, I don't yeah. see differences. <laughs> Well, yeah, I promised my husband that I wouldn't come on here. Same with the white privilege definition. Mm -hmm. I don't want to try and use like all this academic jargon because I feel like that's when people lose it. Um, But I I do want to just kind of like reference the tripartite model, um, but I'll break it down really simply, I hope. Sure. Um, In that it's one, when you say you don't see color, unless you are actually colorblind, that's just not true. Um, And so it, eliminates a very important aspect of your identity. So if I said, for example, to my, um, my spouse, who is a man, um, I said, I don't see you as a man. I don't see you as anything. I feel like you would be pretty emasculated (laughs) in that way. (laughs) Right. So like, um, to, to say that you don't see color, you know, I think really devalues the impact um, of my race on me and how I navigate the world. And so again, I'm not trying to bog down with like the academic pieces of it, but with the tripartite model, there's three different levels of how individuals are categorized and grouped. And so at the very macro level, like we are all human, right? Hopefully we can say (laughs) that we are all living because we are humans and we are in this together. Then Um, at the next level, it's recognizing that we have various identities or experiences that might, um, group us with some, but not with others. 
right? So um, for example, again, I'm a woman of color. Um, my experience as a woman of color may be different than a woman who is not a woman of color. Um, but my experience might also be very different than a man of color, right? And so thinking about how we categorize ourselves in those ways. And then at the very micro level is the individual. So because I am Elena McCauley and I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I have these parents, and I have, you know, like my genetics and all of that other stuff plays out. That is the individual experience and the individual person that, um, has all of these experiences in the world. And so going about and saying that one big piece of my identity has not impacted the way I navigate the world is really just, I mean, it's, it's really colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> it's not saying that it's you insulting. don't see color. It like negates it's that, that absolutely. idea that you, it's negates part of your identity, I think. Right. Like if I said, Jen, I don't see you as a Jew. Right you know, would you feel like, how would you feel? Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, you know, it's like, that's part of your identity. So by saying, I don't see that part of your identity, like this, it's inauthentic really, I think is it's really saying it doesn't exist. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just to relate an example from our personal lives years ago, there were experiences we had where people were telling us that, you know, certain decisions we were making may not be Jewish enough. Right. <laughs> right. Or, you know, it didn't. Well, the um, different levels of, uh, you know, orthodoxy that you might have within your own religion, you know, like, right. you know, and yeah. And, 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 you know, what, how I responded was trying to do a perspective checking where, okay, you know, to somebody who is more orthodox than you, you are not right. Jewish enough, right? right. They, they would not even consider you Jewish, right? right? And I don't know, that was, that was my attempt at trying to <laughs> get them to see, get them to see that, you know, not, not by denying us our um, interfaith identity, <laughs> um, that could be turned around right. on them. It's really... You know, it's right. a matter of I think it's perspective, and people get to own, yeah, you know, their who own identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who who are you to tell me that I am not this? Right. Thing? It's no different than if I negated that you are Jen and you are Sawtooth. Right. You know, it's omitting one of one huge aspect of your identity or who you are. Right. Yeah. Um. So that's. Another thing that I have found particularly frustrating, and I, I've confronted um, in various leadership contexts, is uh, white people who tell me all lives matter, mm -hmm. right? Um, and which they do. Yeah. Yes. Is there a? I'm wondering for people who are who are having trouble accepting that what the black lives matter movement means and why it's important. Is, is there a framing mechanism you, you have that could help those people? Cause I, 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 I feel sure. like there's a lot of them out there still. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Yeah, not I, I have many of them in my own family. <laughs> Again, coming from a very multiracial upbringing, I have many people who have all sorts of political perspectives as well as, 
you know, beliefs and, and what they choose to, um, to support. But I think the best analogy I've seen and I've heard, and I hope that people, you know, can understand and resonate with is the one about the burning house. Mm-hmm. Have you, are you familiar with this mm-hmm. one? Yes. I love it because I think it just puts everything in perspective. Um, like people who say all lives matter aren't saying that all lives or people that say black lives matter aren't saying that all lives don't matter. It's just, if you go into a, if you are a fire department and you go into a community and one house is on fire, you're not going to spray down every single house. Even though all of those houses are important, you're going to spray the one that's on fire. And currently in America, black lives are being brutally murdered in the streets and you know things are happening to people of color that are only happening because of their race and their skin tone and um and being profiled in many of these ways it's not to say that it's not also happening to white people it's just disproportionately higher in the black community as well as in you know other uh racial minority groups and so i think that's where right now the fire needs to be put out um but we're not taking the time to address why it's on fire mm-hmm. and how we can resolve it without wasting all of our resources on a lot of these other areas. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. sad to say, I, I really, it, it's so frustrating for me as somebody who not only lives this in my everyday life, but then also putting it into context of the work that I do. Um, you know, it's like, there's no escape from advocating in this way Mm -hmm. yeah and i think the the (laughs) yeah i mean the narrative that was successful for me in that in one of the it it was a pretty high pressure situation it was right around when i think trump had just gotten elected you know and I, i just i remember this person just like at a at a table um I'm trying to be careful how I frame this. At a, at, a, at a workshop we were at, you know, just just made this declaration. Mm-hmm. You know, let like, that all lives matter. Yep, yeah, all lives matter, and yep. we don't need special movements for people. And no. why would we need that? Yeah, and you know, I think I, I didn't know the burning house um, metaphor analogy, I guess, or metaphor. Um, so I tried to explain it. Well, you know, these this is a this is a community that. Um, being disproportionately impacted by, um, you know, systems and institutions and in a really um, damaging, deadly way. I mean, trying to call attention, you know, this is, this is you, if you, if it helps you think of it as, um, you know, black lives matter too, right? <laughs> it, mm-hmm. You know, that, I don't know. That was my feeble attempt at the time yeah. to explain it to this person, but I don't think, I don't think I got through. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I'm not even... we don't always get through. No. Yeah. yeah. I, think, um, I think we can s- start with the man in the mirror, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. do the education on ourselves and then try to impart the wisdom on the people that we can discuss and have open dialogue. Yeah. And So, the, the, you just said something I want to ask you about is you don't always get through. We don't always get through, right? on anything in our lives. Um, but I, I think this, this is, this is important work that 
can have, I think, deep impacts um, in people's lives and in communities like writ large, right? If we're able to successfully advocate for diversity and inclusion and um, work cultures, right, that can improve the workplace, right? Um, and when you run it, when you run into situations where you don't get through, I can imagine that is incredibly discouraging. And how do, I mean, how do you keep how do you keep going? How do you not lose hope? How do you not lose hope? Thank you, <laughs> Stephanie. What you're Jen. trying to say? Yeah, so glad you're here. You really. <laughs> You help bring the human element to this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you both so much. This is so great. Um, you know, I think that's a really good question. And I, at this particular point in time, um, you know, I've been asking myself that a lot. You know, how do you not lose hope in what you don't see hope in, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, so much of what I do is again, tied to my own identities. And so when you don't get through, it almost feels as though somebody's rejecting you in a way. Um, and so, you know, a lot of, I'm, I'm grateful to have a lot of support in, in at least the organization that I'm a part of, um, my work institution. Um, and that's been absolutely so validating to see a lot of allies come and support me, at least in my immediate circle. I know, you know, UMass is not perfect, but um, they certainly do try, and I feel that. Um, but you know, it, it's it's hard to not feel like when you have not successfully, I don't know, mitigated a situation that includes racism or bias or prejudice, that it's almost an internal failure um, because it is so personal, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, right now we're living in a time where it doesn't seem like things are going to change. Um, so I've just been doing a lot of R&R mm-hmm. <laughs> on the side yeah. to try and protect my mental space as well. Yeah. What do you like to do to relax? <laughs> well, I used to get massages, but yeah. this, oh, the parlors are closed. Oh, get <laughs> Get this, Elena. Stomping Jen bought me like um, what was it? Like six, twelve massages. Twelve a massages. Year's worth of massages. Like a year's worth um, for the holidays. This last holiday oh, no. season, and I haven't gotten to use one of them. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, you're gonna get you know a 24 hour massage once this is over. Oh man. All on my feet too. What? No. Yeah, I'm a big fa- yeah. <laughs> No. Yeah, I like the I like the foot no. to be massaged. Yeah, no. so you like massages? What else? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, guilt. I'm guilty of um, trying to watch reality television. Uh-huh. Um, oh, what's your, what's, it's not something that I've ever really engaged in. Even when I was like a teenager, and, and reality TV was really big. But uh-huh. I feel like in order to escape just uh-huh. the happenings of the world, <laughs> I've been watching really bad TV. Um, Do you have a favorite reality TV show? <laughs> I think I'm embarrassed. Sorry. No, you cannot embarrass. Um, yeah. Our fa- I'll so, tell you, I'll, I'll embarrass ourselves. Our favorite is Big Brother, which is on every summer. <laughs> See, I feel like I grew up with Big Brother, okay. so now it's not yeah. it's not exciting because yeah. my my parents watched it and it was just on. Yeah. Um, but I okay. <laughs> I've watched Too Hot to Handle. Nice. Um, which I thought was absolutely like hilarious but horribly misogynistic and uh just had 
all of these weird elements to the to it. Um, Love is blind. Mm-hmm. That one was a good one, actually. I like that one. Um, Jessica was horrible. I think that was her name. <laughs> we haven't watched those. Yeah, two. we don't know. <laughs> oh, please watch that. I mean, maybe yeah. not. It is really quite trashy TV, yeah. but um, yeah, no. We, we <laughs> Reality watched- TV. So years ago, we talked about this before on the podcast. Oh, yeah. There was a show on Fox like 20-something years ago that we, one summer, it was Temptation Island. It was on Fox. It was on. And then they brought it back last year on like USA or some, yeah. something like that. <laughs> and they and made it trashier They somehow. made it trashier, but it wasn't quite the same. It was still it was, good. It was ridiculous. Oh, it's the worst yeah, show. Yeah, so we love really trashy <laughs> But yeah, Funny if TV you like trashy TV, <laughs> Temptation Island is the best. Ugh, yeah, it's so, so bad. good. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, I don't try and watch it all the time, but I mean, I do, I probably read more than I watch TV, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. So no, you need it. You need, like, yeah. I mean, there's so much crap going on. It's like, <laughs> you know, every day I think we wake up and we're like, what's in the news this morning? Like, you know, what horrible thing happened last night? And so you need that kind of like brain candy, I think. Just, you know, just yeah. turn it off, turn off the thinking <laughs> part of you and just watch like mind numbing nothing. Yeah, things that don't make you think. <laughs> yes, it's huge part of self care. I feel like. Yeah, but how? I mean, Go how ahead. do we? How do we make the case to people that diversity and inclusion will make <laughs> society better? Like that. That is the. I'm, I mean, it makes sense to all of us, right? Right. I know, but it's that person who just you know, for whatever reason, feels threatened, doesn't. So they have it. So this is. Go ahead. Right. So you Jen. work in this field, Lena, but like, yeah, I feel like these people have a perspective that has been drilled into them. Some of them years, like that book that um, Joshua Michael Stewart recommended that we read. What was the name of that book about the South, like poor people in like Appalachia and everything? It's like uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Yes. Oh yeah, yes. that's a great book. Yes. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. book. I mean, it's like a, it's it's a different perspective where you know you have this collective like like consciousness that like builds around you and how do you break that bias you have to you have to educate yourself about what's happening around you yourself you know like you have to challenge those biases that have been built you have to first of all you have to recognize those biases and then you have to challenge them and then you have to educate yourself and that's like the only way to break the cycle so it's it's like almost like an alcoholic or somebody addicted to something you have to recognize that you're an addict you have to want to change you have to I don't know. I mean, that's a lot. That's really burdensome. And I, I. <laughs> Tell uh, me about it. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like thinking about you as I'm saying it, like, oh my God, what a job, you know, it's like, you know. I don't know who said this. Maybe it was Mark Twain who said the cure for racism is travel. Somebody said that. Right. And I think the idea about that, right. Kind of trying to extrapolate it to what his really meaning was the, the idea to that is that um, exposure yeah. to other or to, to people different from you with different um, backgrounds, with different lived experiences, people who look different than you or the, it, it is exposure that will right. begin to break down barriers. But then again, I also recognize like exposure can be dangerous to certain people too. Like, well, 
like I have two thoughts when you say yeah. these things, right? So like I grew up in, so you grew up in Milwaukee and, and I grew up in New Jersey, but basically New York City, the tri-state mm. area where, you know, it was like very diverse. It was half Jewish, half Italian. Everybody moved out of the city and like moved to like the area I grew up in, you know, so I moved to like white bread, Massachusetts. <laughs> and then I live in this like liberal bubble here, you know, and then I think about, sorry, that was like one thought. It mm-hmm. wasn't, didn't really go anywhere. It was just more of like a <laughs> context setting. Context yeah, setting or whatever. Ahead. And then I, 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 I always remember this, um, the story that you told me about when you went to basic training mm-hmm. and you met um, that black oh, my friend soldier, Wa- your friend, Waddington. Yeah. that you both like had grown up in like different contexts yeah. and you had never, so, yeah, go all ahead, right. I'll tell this real quick. I mean, and uh, keep in mind, I was 18 at the time, right? And like Stomping Jen said, um, you know, I, I grew up in a community that was like 99.9% white. I, it, prior to joining the army at a, at a young age. Um, I left the day after I graduated for high school. Part of that was for, you know, economic reasons. Part of it was to escape my household. So I left right away. Um, so got to the army and I began to be exposed to, um, lots of people who I had never met before. Right. Um, um, uh, black people, you know, Hispanic people. Diversity that you hadn't been um, exposed to before. Asian Pacific Islanders. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Filipinos. Yeah, we get the idea. Go yeah, ahead. lots Keep of different. Yeah, thank you, Stomping Jen. <laughs> You're keeping me on track. Um, <laughs> Just get to so, the point. Get to the story. Is this that halting, rambling oh speech God. that that person criticized yes, me for? Yes, probably. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> thank you for that review, by the way. I appreciated it. Um, it was brutally honest but anyway so i'm digressing so i ended up in south korea that's where i was stationed and i was being sent on a month-long field exercise with a group of people and at this point i hadn't been there that long and i didn't have many friends and one of the people i was going to be assigned to go out in the field with was this um black guy named um waddington Mm-hmm. That was his first name. I okay. won't say his last name. Okay. Um, I'd never really talked to him before, and we kind of like bumped into each other in the comic book store on the base. And uh, like we were re- I was reading comics. He noticed I was reading comics. I noticed he was reading comics, and like we kind of like sidled up to each other, and and said like we began talking. I don't know how, but he goes, "I got to tell you something." I said, "Okay." He goes, I'm terrified of white people, right? And I said, okay. I said, um, he said, I've never really met any before coming to the army. You know, where I grew up, I didn't know any. And, you know, my mother told me, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, so we began talking like about our different backgrounds and experiences and we became really good friends mm-hmm. um what like, did you re- say really back close. to him i said um i i think i said i have never really met any black people before right yeah yeah and we kind of had this moment where we i think we both realized um we didn't you know well if you don't expose yourself if you don't leave your segregated little bubble if you stay within the community that you're used to 
you know, like, like you just said, the travel and exposure and opportunity to expose yourself to different viewpoints. But I think what I didn't see at the time, right, was, um, he probably had lots of reasons to be afraid of white people that I didn't understand because of how Mm -hmm. I grew up and because of Mm -hmm. the, the privilege I was wrapped in. Right. Right. Like to me, that was a, at the time as an 18 year old who you know, had no real lived experiences beyond where I grew up. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, really? You're afraid of white people? Why? Like, but, you know, kind of now as a 46-year-old man, mm-hmm. I, like, I get it. <laughs> like, I've lived long enough and have seen enough to understand why somebody would think, that, like, why yeah. he would, you know, have those viewpoints. Yeah. Um, But I think that, that was, that was one of the I think first experiences in my life that got me to begin questioning, Mm -hmm. you know, what it means to be a white person, you know? Mm -hmm. And even though I probably didn't consciously recognize it at the time, there's, it, it ignited something in me about questioning my own privilege. I think, I don't know. I don't know. Hard to know, but it's, it's those little experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. I think along the way. And, um, you know, for but again, me, I think you had to be open to it, which was part of your process. Yeah. And, you know, um, and, and it's interesting for me, if I hadn't joined the army, yeah. you know, um, because of economic reasons, you know, and other social reasons, you know, I, I would not have met people different than me. Right. You know, and, and formed really close relationships with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that that is, I mean, that's a good example, I think, of how, mm-hmm. you know, travel and exposure, right? you know, can open up uh, the world world of differences to you. Um, you know, but, but what I, yeah. It go can ahead, also yeah. close them off. And I think that's, you know, to, to Stomp and Jen's point, again, you have to be open to it. Because I think a lot of times some people will travel and they'll see anything that's different from the experiences mm-hmm. of their own is wrong um, mm-hmm. rather than just a different way. Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I'm not to say, you know, travel is bad or anything. I'm a huge proponent for traveling. I used to work with um, international programs fairly, you know, often, and I've led international trips with students. Um, but again, I think a lot of it takes some cultural awareness to recognize mm-hmm. that anything different isn't bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's, you know, even when this pandemic started and there was a lot of um, xenophobia and like backlash against the Asian American community, like it's interesting. Like we sent our kids to the Chinese school <laughs> and like all their teachers are, you know, Chinese. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a lot of, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Um. <laughs> What am I trying to say, Sati? Xenophobia. Yeah. Right? And I, and I think, you know, when we decided to send them there, how old is Ted? He's 13. Yeah. He's been going there since he's in kindergarten. So, you know, there wasn't as much um, xenophobia at the time, specifically directed at, you know, um, Chinese mm-hmm. um, people. Um I think I, I have felt that ramp up a bit. I'm more conscious of the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, we have a, a, a president who appears to hate 
the Chinese and hate Chinese people and hates immigrants and um, is perpetuating these damaging narratives about them. Yeah. You know, damaging and untruthful narratives. And yeah, I found myself more defensive when I'm explaining to people why we're sending them there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, one of the, one of the main reasons, Elena, is that I enjoy sending our kids there is because they're exposed to diversity which they would not have gotten had they gone to our local public school system, which is predominantly white. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Because it was an important value for us to expose them to diversity. I don't know. I'm not trying to, like, pat ourselves on the back or anything (laughs) either. I'm just like, you know, like, I just think about, you know, like, we're, I feel like we're more open to, you know, having these discussions when we talk about like how do you break down doors mm-hmm. and like you know you have to want it like i'm trying to loop it back to the conversation yeah. where you know you really have to kind of like recognize and want well and back you weren't here i think when we were initially talking with when i was initially talking with elena but we were talking about the difference between diversity and inclusion right mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. having them go to a school where there are lots of different um types of people yeah. right mm-hmm. is may not even really be enough right it's mm-hmm. it's how the different perspectives of the different students are included in right. in the um, in the classroom right. and how participation is encouraged amongst um, you know different people in the classroom mm-hmm. um, and I don't have any real evidence that their school does that. Well, they're an integration for. <laughs> What's their new motto? It's like a engine for integration because they they have a wide geographic uh, regional yeah. reach. I mean, I I think the intention right is probably good, yeah. right? But it but I think it you have to be mindful of how you're th- thinking about making sure. I think the different that they're um, not segregating within their own classroom. I mean, maybe they're that actually could, mixing with yeah. Other I mean, people. maybe. Maybe that could be happening, but I'm just saying you have to be, mm-hmm. it's the inclusion part of, mm-hmm. um, of diversity and inclusion. That's right. just as important as making sure you have, um, the numbers on a piece of paper. Am I getting that right, Elena? Yeah, for the most part. And, yeah. you know, I think it goes again to intention is great. If you might have great intentions, but the right. execution of that might not necessarily be where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, which is again why we have roles like mine to, yeah. to to make sure that you know people are thinking really intentionally about this, um, and including various voices in the execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like shifting to like action steps that people can take. People who might be listening to this, like what what can um, we all do to you know help disrupt the cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, this, these cycles of racism that we see, inst- institutional and otherwise. I know this is like a big thing to bite off, but like, you know, what, what, are, what, can, what can people who mean well and want to make a difference do? Specifically, yeah. white, specifically like I'm thinking about white allies. Well, I think... One, recognizing that there are white allies is important, but there's also a lot of not white allies yep. or white people who are not allies, I should say. Um, and so I think what white people can do in all 
you know, wherever they fall within that is um, talk to other people. You know, I think a lot of people of color are tired of having some of the same conversations about race that they've been having for generations and centuries at this point. Um, and so, you know, I think it, it takes white people to also be having these conversations and educating others. Um, you may not always have it right, but at least it's something. Um, there was this woman who is on, I wasn't even friends with her on Facebook. I was a part of a, um, you know, like all those Facebook community groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had posted something that I just had never seen before. And she said, you know, I am a white woman and I really want to step up in a way that I've never done before. And so one thing that I see in the area, and I've talked with a couple of friends about this, is that black people are tired of defending their stances within social media. Mm -hmm. So if you go out and tag me in any of the posts that somebody is, you know, critiquing what you're saying or devaluing what you're doing, um, I'll step up and I will take over that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really interesting perspective because I'd never seen somebody do it. Granted, you know, she might not respond in the exact same way that I would have. Um, granted, I'm also somebody that does this every day. Um, but I just felt it was nice to not have that burden necessarily. Um, I think also too, Stomp and Jen, you mentioned just looking in the mirror and mm-hmm. saying, you know, what can I work on myself? And how can I continue to do this within my community? So whether it's in your friend groups, whether it's in, you know, the, um, I don't know, communities that you're a part of within your local cities and towns, um, whether it's calling um, right now, obviously a lot of the protests are about police brutality. Um, So if it's calling local police departments and just asking, you know, what are your policies and how do you, you know, address these things so we can ensure that we're proactive and nothing like this does happen Mm -hmm. within our spaces. If it's something that you don't want to happen across all races, then it's something you should be questioning. Um, You know, so I think those are just really simple things that you can do. You know, I think also just showing up and saying that your support, reaching out to your black friends and colleagues. um, I I can't tell you how many people I've actually had text me since I said that's important. (laughs) Um, so there's so many different ways to get involved. There's so many different ways to, to reach out and say that you're an ally and to support. Um, but saying it isn't enough. Mm -hmm. If you, if you truly feel compelled to do something, I really encourage you to do so. And I'd be happy to work with anybody that listens to this on, you know, perhaps a mechanism to, to figure that out. I absolutely totally believe that, you know, there's a spot in this movement for everyone. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's well said. Yeah. So you hear that people? Yeah. There's stuff to do. Yeah. We got a lot of work to do. People. Right. Look in the mirror first. Right. It's Stomping all starting there. Right. Elena, look in the mirror. <laughs> I'm going to, <laughs> I feel like I can improve. Yeah. I really do. Well, I had... Um, There's things I can do better. There's, two, I can do more. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. So two friends, uh, they want to start a, a very small book club. We're going to start reading some materials. and. What materials? I think we're getting uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Is that the name of the book? 
I don't that's know. A, that's one that um, just came up on our recommended list. Yeah. I just led a bunch of book groups on what happens if I say the wrong thing mm-hmm. by Brene Myers. That's a really simple, easy read. Um, and it has some action steps and questions in there for yeah. people. And I think that, I mean, I don't want to go back to this and like have a whole, I mean, I know it's getting late and have a whole other long conversation about this, but I think that is one of the challenges I, I was saying to Elena at the start of this is, um, at least I'm, I'm only speaking for myself, right? I want to be clear about that. Like I'm not here trying to speak for all white people and representing the voices of all white people. That's not it. I'm talking about my own experiences. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had, you know, and I said this a couple of times, like I was not given a toolbox right. with which to to learn how to um, talk about and navigate, you know, um, issues and ideas about race and identity and racism. And it wasn't until I was like in my mid thirties that I began actually um, doing work in this area, right? You know, in, in the sense in the sense that I did any work at all in it, but you know that I began to actually get training and learn stuff about, mm-hmm. you know, yep. this. And so I think that there's a lot of people just don't even have the tool set and having conversations and even confront, be doing the work of beginning to confront some of these concepts feels like walking through a minefield to people. And mm-hmm. they, they're afraid. Um, like the, the book title you just mentioned, um, Elena, like what if I say the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm convinced I've probably said the wrong thing, mm-hmm. you know, like this evening, like I'm, I'm sure I, you know, could have said things better or differently or, you know, yeah. exposed my, but you're willing to be brave enough to have a conversation. So, right. so, so what other resources uh, are, are good ones to start with? You mentioned, you know, I, I think um, a really good one on, on privilege is unpacking the invisible knapsack. Okay. That's like, I don't know. It was probably written in like the nineties. It's like a pretty foundational piece Mm -hmm. and it goes through all of the things that a white woman um, has not had to consider based Mm -hmm. on her experiences. And I think that one's really, um, that one hits home. Um, Literally anything by Kimberly Crenshaw or Patricia Hill Collins is good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, and, and it depends on what stage you're in too. Yeah. Like I, like the one that I recommended, it's a beginner one mm-hmm. that we use with our faculty and staff in Eisenberg, um, as well as the larger UMass campus has this entire book club initiative. Um, and I think that one just, it's so easy. Brene Myers is just fantastic. And she lays it out for you in a way that's like, as a, as a person of color, these are the things that led me to my biases. I'm going to work through them with you. Um, so yeah, again, I think it depends on where you're at. I mean, I could definitely recommend some stuff if you're a little bit later on, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but, um, yeah. I don't want to bog you down with all the theory books. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a good start. I think, yeah. you know, for people that are interested, you know, we'll, we'll link to them in yeah. the show notes. We'll drop them in the show notes, people. And, uh, you know, we yeah. can start the, the long road um, for people that are really serious about engaging in dialogue. Yeah. And Yeah. Well, thank you um, 
for having this conversation. Yeah, thanks with for being us willing and, to and speak with us. Setting, a, no. setting aside almost an hour and a half of your evening to yeah. talk to us. No, I appreciate you all for providing the space. Um, I think it's so important. And the more that we have these conversations, the more that people can equip their toolbox with what they need to, to engage. Yeah. Because again, if we're too afraid to say something, nothing's mm-hmm. going to happen. Yeah. All right. Um, so do you want to wrap up Stomping Jen? I mentioned to Elena, we do like to talk and we talked a little bit. I learned some interesting things about about your TV viewing ha- <laughs> habits. So we do like to like just take a few minutes to talk about, you know, at the end of our interviews and at the end of the show, talk about like how what we're, we're... What we watch. What we're watching, what we're listening <laughs> to. Do you have any interest in hanging around for that? Or you can you can bail too if it's too late. It's fine. If you'll have me, I mean, oh, yeah. all my family's in bed. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, he's playing his bumper. I warned Elena about my bumpers. <laughs> oh, you told her all about the bumpers. Yes, <laughs> oh, she great. knows. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, I just wanted to mention Stomping Jen and yes. Elena. This one movie we watched last night. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It's called <laughs> The Wrong Missy. That was. I just watched that. Did yeah. you? <laughs> Did you like it? I forced my husband to, um, no, it like, it's along the lines of like the bad shows, but it was number two trending in the U S when we watched it. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely it was ridiculous. ridiculous. And I kept looking over at saw and he was like, do you want to turn it off? I'm like, well, well, it's so bad. I feel like I have to keep watching. (laughs) I know. But, but Elena stomping Jen kept looking at me like I wrote and directed it. (laughs) Like she was accusing me of something. No, it was just, it was so sophomoric in the humor. I mean, it's just, I think, I think we've become, I mean, this was like straight out of like Adam Sandler primetime. It was, has, you know, happy Madison company. Like it was so out of his playbook from, you know, way back when. And I think we've gotten very accustomed to this golden age of television. We watch pretty serious shows, I think. For the most part. So when we watch something absolutely ludicrous yeah. like that, I'm just like, oh my God. It was it was funny. It was funny. It was fun. It was ridiculous. It was light humor. Yes. And <laughs> that's exactly what I was looking for. So I wasn't entirely disappointed, yeah. but I was just like, this is entirely predictable. Yeah. yeah. We know exactly what's coming. Yeah. It was kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was I like, survived. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But the, the, the woman, I'm forgetting her name. She's just a, like a brilliant physical comedian. I know. There was so much physical comedy in that movie. Oh, she too. was so great. Um, and she did like, she played, so she did so much better than what Chris Farley did for David Spade. <laughs> like David Spade, he always played the straight man to like Chris Farley's yeah. like wild, crazy. Yeah. But I thought she was so much better and funnier. Yeah. I don't know. I just loved it. It yeah. was hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, are you have funny. you have you seen anything else recently, um, Elena, that you would want to recommend to people? Movie um, show. So it's on Hulu. Uh, Little fires everywhere. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard um, of that. I read the book first, and I'm a reader. Um, and then I watched the show, and I I, I would say both are good on their own mm-hmm. terms. Um, having read the book, obviously, it never matches up once you actually watch the show, but that was a fantastic show. Um, and I think it touches on a lot of the elements of race, um, and poverty Hmm. that I think 
would be interesting to some of your viewers that might have been interested in this conversation today. Cool. Okay, we'll check that one out. Um, and what are you reading? You said you're a big reader. Are you reading anything right now that's interesting? I just finished um, this book called Someone Knows. Um, it was like a impulsive, like last minute I'm in the store and it's a book on the shelf. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty, it was okay. It was just really a different type of perspective than I'm, I typically read. I read a lot of like DNI type texts, um, but this one was like a, childhood murder and now they were going back in time to mm. figure out you know like what yeah. was going on so it was a good book though cool. that's awesome and you actually bought a book in a physical store i am yeah i, I can't do screens yep. i've got to i've got to reward you with this <laughs> i don't like kindles yep. i don't like electronic reading i fall asleep oh. easier with the kindle it hurts my eyes yeah. to be honest i don't like it i like holding a book in my hands all right. Um, yeah. Let's see. Stomping Jen. We we started watching this show on Amazon called Upload, which yeah. is kind of silly and ridiculous. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> but it's light. It's a great. It's, it's like a, a really uh, good way to end the day. Review. Like Yeah. Yeah. So we're Upload. But, but we finished uh, this show that's an older show that you're obsessed with right now. I know. Do you like um, like dramas, like intense psychological, like character I really dramas? I really do. Yes. All right. <laughs> So I'm going to recommend this show to you called Patriot. It's on Amazon. Yep. It starts off and you think it's about, you think it's a spy thriller, right? And it has like, it's wrapped in the packaging of a spy thriller, but it's about so much more. It's about relationships between parents and children. It's about commitment. It's about internal motivation. It's about... <laughs> it's about um depression it's about anxiety uh -huh. it's about ptsd ptsd wow. it's about what else stomping in friendship Music, friendship um it's really good it's love, only two marriage. seasons so if you if you yeah if you know going in it's only two seasons and there's no more because it's an old show now, stomping jen will tell you the first four episodes i kept turning to her and being like do we really want to watch this yeah and then he's do like we really? obsessed with it no. i can't get it out of my mind now i cried at the last episode he's been listening to the soundtrack because like part, oh yeah part of the part of the show is like the character he writes these songs that are incredibly literal about the stuff that's going on in his life. And they're just mm -hmm. like the, the craziest, but also most poignant songs. Mm -hmm. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. Um, but I love it. I cannot yeah. recommend it enough. Yeah. And I hope if enough people watch it, they'll make a third they'll season. They'll like renew it. <laughs> they'll like pick yes. it back up so, and make another season. I'm talking it up. Yeah. All right. Upload. I mean, Patriot. 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 Yeah. Patriot. And yeah. upload. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else, Elena, you want to tell us? Music you're, music you're listening to? Anything else you want to recommend? What else can we know about you? <laughs> I am a fur mom recently. That's probably the only cool thing. Oh, yeah? You, what, what is the fur baby? We just bought, well, not a bot. We adopted. I don't know why I said that. Yeah. <laughs> we adopted a, a puppy from a rescue um, oh, nice. right over the border in New York. What nice. kind of um? What kind of little um, puppy? Do you know? He is, is it a lab mix mm -hmm. based on just patterns mm -hmm. and, yeah. and things like that? But he's a lab mix. Um, he is currently 
going to be 17 weeks on Wednesday Aww. and we named him Ozzy Brutus Macaulay because Aww. he's black. So Ozzy like Black Sabbath and oh, Brutus yeah. was his rescue name. So nice. Um, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty pumped. That's exciting. <laughs> and our seven-year-old loves him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you um, a Black Sabbath fan by any chance? Is your husband? <laughs> I think we both are in our in our own right. We, uh-huh. I, I definitely have like a lot of different tastes in music. Again, I, diversity because of everything yeah. I've been around. Mm-hmm. The reason, um, the reason I ask is I, I don't know how this happened. I love Ozzy. I love Black Sabbath, but I had never heard the song Planet Caravan. How did you never hear that song before? Planet Caravan. You must listen to it, Elena. Oh my gosh! It is the most incredible song. I can't believe you've never heard it before. I wish I could play it now. I don't have a device hooked up. <laughs> um, you don't want to have the well, you know, for um, that one? call it? They do a, a cover of it. Who does a cover the, of it? Not, oh, Anyways, jot that down. Planet Caravan. Oh, my Lord. You'll love it. What's the band that sings that? Oh, I can't think what of What band? Pantera. Oh my God. Pantera. What about Pantera? Pantera does a cover of Planet Caravan. They do? Yeah. I might be able to pull it up oh here real God. quick. All right. Elena doesn't want to no, hear this. No, she doesn't want to hear this. You're right. Elena's All like, right. It's 1030. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, we've taken, we've <laughs> taken up. It, it is 10:30. We've taken it's up like too exactly much of your time. All right. All right. So um, that's for the, that's for the puppy. Good job. Adopt, don't shop. That's true. Right? Yes. Shop, don't shop. All of, our, yep. all of our animals are adopted. Okay. Um, so this is how we typically end it. I'm going to hit this button yeah. and we're going to hear the music and you can just hang up whenever you're ready and we'll say bye. I want to say thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really. Thank you all for um, having me. I cannot tell you how much I've appreciated having this conversation. I hope um, people will learn something from it. Um, yeah. want to say thank you again to all of the essential workers out there who are continuing to work through the pandemic. And as we reopen the country, I said earlier, thank you to the people out there in the streets raising their voices. Yes. I think that's really important. Um, Just wear a mask. This is from Sawtooth. (laughs) This is from Sawtooth only. Um, Resist, please. Now that we have martial law declared against our citizens. Anyway, sorry, I won't go down this road. Yeah, you're going down a rabbit hole. All right. Um, Other than that, what? um, Download, subscribe, leave me a review about how horrible I speak, please. (laughs) All right, we won't go there. Um, Stomping Jen, any last words? Bye now. Okay, um, Elena, we'll give you the final word. I appreciate what everybody is doing, and I continue to hope for the best moving forward in this country. And I thank you too for allowing space for this conversation. Thank you. That was the final word. Bye now.
that this world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity, and that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed 